0: Thank you. You may be seated. That was incredibly kind. Geez, I have to give Mark a lot of money following those nice remarks. But you know, I kinda wish, you know, I used to say to my dad, I want to record all the good things everybody says about me, so you you know exactly what I'd like you to say. Cause my dad would always say things like, you know, just put a little honey on that. He said, You know, just leave a little sugar in that tank. That's, that's lemon. That's lemon, Amanda. That's lemon. He used to tell me, you know, everybody likes to eat something sweet. And, uh, you know, if you knew, you knew the bishop, right? You knew the bishop, and uh, he had—he was a great man. Thank you, Pastor Mark, and thank you, Pastor Vanessa, for uh, the invitation, Pastor Chuck and Karen, who are not here. What an incredible church. This is where I grew up. I mean, this is it, right? Like, this is it. This is it. Like This is like the homeland. I was coming through town last night. We came through kind of late because I've— this is uh, the last location I'll be at before I fly back to the UK tomorrow. Um, we're going to be flying over the pond during the funeral tomorrow uh, for our queen. But when we were on our way down, we came through Okeechobee, through Moorhaven, and I'm doing like a little bit of a tour guide thing because I've got a, a great gal with me by the name of Becky Nettleton who and her and her husband serve on our pastor's team in, at Mosaic Church in Coventry, England. And she's with me, and of course... Uh, The beautiful Samantha, who's always with me because she just loves to be with me. She's traveling with me as well. And I'm coming through town and I'm telling her, this is where the theater used to be. And this is, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right? You're like, this is where Goodwill was, where Ben Franklin was. Uh, Don't matter how far you get from something, as soon as you ride back through US 27, everything comes back. You remember your mama making you stand outside Goodwill to teach you how to be humble. Now, ain't nothing wrong with goodwill I go to goodwill today I'm just saying my mama she said she would hate me because US 27 you know everybody that was in school they rode down the major road so when they were riding down the major road she would say stand out here I'll be out in a minute and for years for about a year I couldn't figure out why in the world she making me stand outside and then one day she came out she said you feel humble yet because <laughs> you could use some humility I thought <laughs> Lord Jesus help me but It is so good to be back in Clewiston, Florida. I am so delighted to be with you. Thank you for hosting me. Thank you for giving me space to speak to you today. I know that that's a privilege. I understand to uh, yield a platform is a privilege. But before I get started, I just want to do two things real quick because I get in trouble when I don't. Uh, Just this past year, I came out with my first book. Woo-hoo! Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Thanks, guys. It was actually in this little small town that I had a professor or a teacher that said, you write like you talk. And I said back, what's wrong with that? I feel that I'm an excellent communicator. <laughs> but they were not interested in my communication skills verbally. They He said, you write like you talk. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I could never seem to overcome that. I felt like every time I tried to overcome it, it came out on every single one of my papers. You write like you talk. You write like you talk. So one time I said to my dad, true story, I said to my dad, dad, could you help me? Because the professor says I write like I talk. And dad said, you know, in Tony Miller fashion, bring me your paper. So I brought it over and he corrected some things. And back then we didn't have computers. So I retyped it and submitted it again. And, and, uh, and I got the exact same comment. <laughs> and my dad said, this man doesn't know what he's talking about. I say that to say it took me many years to believe that I had the capacity to write a book, to be quite honest. Because, you know, how many of you know words matter? They matter. But I have found that God's words matter more. What he says about you is way more important. So I wrote a book called Grow Over It. Seems like the right title for a first book. And it definitely seems like the right title with that story. This book is not about replacing your Bible. Any book that replaces your Bible is a problem. This book's about taking you on a journey. It's about giving you some nuggets. It's about letting you sit with some things and think through your life. It's practical. It wants to just impact you. And I have a few copies back there today. And I would love for you, if you want an opportunity, I'll sign it for you after church. And, and you can grab one from me. I'd appreciate your, any of your support in that. Because I believe God's using this book all over. I have tons of people who are just giving incredible feedback. So I'm thankful. But secondly, I just want to say uh, a huge thank you to Pastor Chuck, who's not here. Thank you to him. What an incredible pastor you have. Pastor Chuck and Pastor Karen. Man. You know, I feel like Pastor Lonnie and I are just, we're just cutting across America because I was in California last Sunday preaching, and he was in California with me, and now Chuck is with Lonnie. I'm like, what is going on in this world? It's a crazy world. So I love Pastor Chuck and Karen. I just want to give a huge honor to them before I start and say thank you, Pastor Chuck, for giving me the privilege to be in your platform. And now are you ready for the word? Amen. 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 Well, I'm going to tell you what. I really feel that God's given me something for you today. I also feel really strongly that I just need to speak into some things. Is that okay? So I'm going to to teach preach, if that's all right. Maybe you're accustomed to that. I don't know. But I know how God works in me. And I know that God uses me to stir atmosphere. It's just part of the assignment on my life. I'm in Coventry, England now, just over almost two years ago, the Lord spoke to Jason and I and said, there's something about to change. Something's coming. It's going to change your life. We thought it was one thing. And then I got this text from a a pastor friend of mine in the middle, in the Midlands of England. And he said, what are you doing in your next? And in my very cheeky way, I said, I'm moving in with you. And he said, no, I'm serious. I, I believe I have a word from God and I want to talk to you about it. And he, so he basically said, would you consider coming? And to be honest with you, I didn't even want to pray about coming to England. Not because I don't love England, not because I don't feel called to the world, but because I had a plan. No, I want to talk to people on this side. Nobody ever had that. You have a plan, right? Why do you need to go consult God for anything new? The plan's working. Plan's on track. We're on track, people. The five years are looking good. And uh, I really did. I had a plan. I'm that way by nature. I like to have things in order, and um, it was my husband who said, you know, Amanda, it might be a bit godly of us to take a moment and pray about this. Aren't you glad you're married to someone who's got the wisdom of the Lord occasionally when you don't? He said, I think we should pray. So I prayed about it, and the Lord gave me a real, kind of a real leaning to continue to explore what God was saying and what potentially could be. It was a very unusual situation because the pastor in England was stepping back, but I'd only preached for him two or three times. I didn't know his congregation at all. It was going to be, an, it would have to be a God thing. It would just have to be. And we kept talking, we kept meeting, we kept having Zoom calls. This was all during the time of lockdown. And we finally decided that we were going to make the jump, that this was the direction we were supposed to go. We, we said, okay, Lord, we don't know for how long, but this is, this is the right place. And in the middle of it, in the middle of deciding to do this, we had our last call uh, on January nineteenth, 2021, at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And there we were on a call talking about this amazing opportunity and Tony Miller's on the other side prophesying and talking into the future. And we get down off the call and three hours later, You know, it was so beautiful to know that the last thing your dad did was launch you into the unknown. So you can imagine that after that call, you think, maybe this isn't supposed to be you know things have shifted in this 3 hour period from that call to this call this is a big deal and of course the pastor who was there i call him in the middle of the night i tell him the man you were just on the phone with 5 hours ago he's he's gone to be with the lord he talked about shock waves silence and all he said to me was You do what God tells you to do. I'm not going to push on anything. Whatever you feel, you do. I'm telling you this story because where I'm going today, I want to talk about the storm you needed. Sometimes there's storms you need. Because they bring definition to things. That nothing else can bring. When you face the absolute vulnerability of just yes or no. When there's no gray in between. There's no other option. Either you do or you don't. There's nothing like that moment. That you're contending for. When you're walking out on the ledge. And there's not another thing coming behind you. You just have to decide. And for me, that day and the following days after made some of the most impactful impressions upon my life because I realized it wasn't so much that dad dying was a, a reason not to go as much as we had always done this thing together. I had seen this thing together. I had seen this as an expression of who we were at the Gate Church. And I saw all these components working together. And it was like the Holy Spirit just stopped it. And said, your your motivations aren't wrong, but it's not the tactic I'm using. I'm about to bring you through a storm you need. You just don't know you do. But when you get to the other side, you're going to learn that the environment that was set against you cannot destroy you. So if you will, will you turn with me to Mark chapter 4? Mark chapter 4. When you get there, it's my tradition to read, to stand for the reading of the word if you would do so. That would be great. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. I'm so grateful for the privilege of being here today. Thank you. Mark chapter four, starting in verse 35. This is a familiar passage of scripture. It's simply going to be where I launch. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. And when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you fearful? How is it that you still have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be? Even the wind and the sea obey Him. Lord, thank you for the ability to preach and teach. I thank you, Lord, that today you will allow my words to communicate your heart. Lord, today I thank you that you are awaken hearts to receive your word, that you'll unlock ears, that you are open eyes. Lord, I thank you that today as I deposit the word, that you get all the victory and all the praise and all the honor. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thank you very much. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the storm you needed. And I want to use this scripture really to launch into a few things. Because see, I've learned something. We have more material at our disposal to try to teach us how to avoid the storm. Than to teach us how to be successful, significant and victorious in the midst of it. We have so many books that tried to help us to navigate around things. And yet most of the Bible is conditioned to help us understand that it is to take us through things, not just to take us around things. In fact, I have found in my life personally that there has been no greater thing for me than when I have looked adversity in the face and realized I was stronger than that thing. I will never forget being in this city, living on a street in this town was the place that God used me to say that the spirit of fear that's living in you must leave your household. I remember standing up against it in my house in this city because I realized I came with a revelation to realize that the adversary that was set against me was so much smaller than the authority that belonged to me. But so often we never really test our limits because we want God to remove the pain of what it takes to get to them. And I have come to find that part of the reason that the three Hebrew children were not able to be consumed in the fire was not just because Jesus was walking with them. Because see I learned a long time ago that Jesus' presence does not mean Jesus' approval. Jesus being with people did not mean he approved of them. He sat with sinners, but he didn't agree with their lifestyle. So it wasn't just enough for him to be present with them. The only way that fire can't consume something is when it does not have fuel. Which means that the only way that the Hebrew children of that day were not able to be consumed by fire was because something had already been consuming them. They did not have any fuel available to be consumed by the fire around them. That's why the only thing when they walked out that was able to be burned off of them was the bounds and the bondages that had held them there. Because the only thing that was going to provide fuel for them was the thing that was set against the purposes of God. And I realize that the only way for the body of Christ at this age, at this place, at this season, 2022, whether it's New Harvest, whether it's the Glades region, whether it's the UK, the only way we're going to embrace the next level that God has for us, the new day that God has for us, is that we stop trying to avoid the storm. The storm in and of itself is not the place of adversity. The adversity is inside the person who is in the storm. It is the working out of who you are, what you believe and why you believe it. Here we are in Mark chapter four, verse thirty five, and I'm going to have to take a minute to set it up, but I'll get where I'm going. So y'all going to just hang tight. You know what I mean? Like I tell my church, just hang tight. In Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35, I love this passage of Scripture because something illuminated to me I had never seen before until a few months ago when the Bible says Jesus said, hey, guys, let's get in this boat and let's cross over to the other side. Now, we've preached that up, down, forward, backward. Let's cross, It's time to cross over, time to cross over, time to cross over. But what I had never seen before is that a few verses later, you have men who are now under adversity and attack by the elements and the environment around them and their immediate reaction is to believe that they're in danger. Here is what I have come to realize. Because you fear something does not mean you are in danger of it. Fear produces lies for you to believe teaching you something that is not true. Just because it makes you fearful doesn't mean it's actually dangerous to you. The Bible says that when Jesus woke up, He was already in the stern on a pillow. In other words, He didn't sense the danger. He didn't sense the fear that the men had sensed. But here is what's so interesting is that Jesus was sleeping because He had already said what He intended to do. And I have come to realize that when we get in the middle of our pain, when we get into the storm of our life, some of the things that we do as tendencies as Christians is we start looking for an outlet of a new word. Because we don't feel the last word gave us enough components to help us through this word. But what I've come to know is that really what that word was at verse 35, he said, let us cross over to the other side. The word had already been given. What was going to happen had already been declared. What was to come forth had already been said. No new word is needed because the last word was still working. Your pain, your adversity does not destroy The work of the word that has been set in motion over your life. Let us cross over to the other side. In other words, no matter what happens from the time you got in the boat to the time you get out of the boat, the word never changed over your life what you were headed for, you are still headed in that direction. What God said over Clewiston, Florida, God still believes. What God declared over the Glades region, He still believes. He does not believe because we have hit the middle of a storm, or because we have hit the middle of some wind, or because the waves have come against us, or because we didn't get it the way we thought we should get it, or we don't believe that worked the way we thought it was going to work, or we didn't see them leaving, or we didn't see them talking about us. So we didn't see them giving up on us does not mean that you are still not crossing over to the other side. Because you can't see the other side does not violate the word. So I want to give you a few things to talk to you about the storm you needed and how you are to respond to that. I said, okay, let me tell you the first one the first thing the storm teaches you is it teaches you the power of predecision making now i'm going to give you a i'm going to teach you for a minute here because i think this is a place that the body of christ needs daniel in daniel chapter 6 says he was a man of great honor in verse 10 after he learns that you aren't supposed to go and worship every day you're not to go and pray to your own god Nebuchadnezzar is called that you are to pray to him. He still in verse 10 goes to his closet. He goes to an open air room and prays. He never stops what he intended to do just because the atmosphere of the culture had shifted. Because he had made a predecision in his life on who he would serve. I have found that some of the greatest tragedy in the body of Christ is that when we make decisions, we believe that was the first time we should have. Actually, most decisions should have already been made in advance of it. Because a decision in a moment only reflects a reaction or a response to the conditions of the moment. Y'all, some of y'all are gonna get this. You're gonna go home and be like, oh yeah, that made sense. But when you make a predecision, you have already cast your lots in the direction of what you believe. So there are some problems that I don't have in my life, not because other people don't have them, not because I am special, not because I have something greater in my life, but because I have made a decision that that is not a place for me. That is not going to work in this, this girl. That's not going to work in this Connor family. And as a result of it, that pre-decision has set me on a course to make sure that no matter what I face, that decision is led in what I face. If you can learn how to make pre-decisions, the storm doesn't bother you as much. Because see, listen, pre-decision making comes out of identity. It's when you know who you are in Christ. You understand what you believe. You know what God has said about you. And you know what he believes about you. And where identity is, courage is. And where courage is, hopefulness comes. And where hopefulness comes, perseverance comes. Where perseverance comes, the ability to decide things before you need to to decide them appears. If we could grab a hold of what it means. To be pre-decision makers. Daniel sat in a room. And he said you know what. You can push that. Ten times hotter to me. You can make every problem around me worse. You can tell me how terrible it is for Nebuchadnezzar. But I will not change course. Not because I'm going up against you. But because I made a decision a long time ago. Whom I will serve. I don't need to make that decision today. That decision has been made. And whatever it takes for me to remain in that decision. I'm willing to take. Can I take you to a scripture that I think will help you with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 8 through 10. I don't know if you can get those on the screen or not. I'm looking at them. I'm trying to figure. Are, are you shaking your head? Yes, maybe. Oh, Okay, great. Yeah, thumbs up. That's awesome. And can you put it in the New Living Translation? Do you have that? New Living. Y'all, y'all turn there. You're going to want to see this. 2 Corinthians 1 verses 8 through 10. Verses 8 through 10. Y'all okay so far? We're going to get where we're going to go. 2 Corinthians 1. Oh, there it is. Awesome. Y'all are fantastic. Oh, okay. It was there, saith the Lord. Now it is. Okay. I think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. This is Paul talking. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. What a testimony. But as a result, I love this bit, we stopped relying on ourselves, and we learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. Verse 10. In there it is, okay, and he did rescue us from mortal danger. And he will rescue us again. And we have placed our confidence in him. And he will continue to rescue us. Let me walk you through this scripture. The scripture goes basically like this. We tried it on our own. We came to realize our own really stunk. Everything we thought we should have been doing was working against us. Every problem had a standard that was coming against us. And we could not defeat. And then all of a sudden we all mighty men of God. Mighty men of fivefold ministry. History, the apostles of the new testament realize you know what we're putting a little too much emphasis on how we're good we are maybe if we write ourselves into a predecision that God you are the only source we have there is none like you you are alpha and omega beginning and the end you are the one who can make a way where there seems to be no way you're the one who sits closer than a brother you are the one in which I can depend as a Redeemer, they said to themselves, We've been looking at our decision making, but we've decided to put our decisions in advance of God, and as a result, He rescued us. But not once, He will rescue us again, not twice, but He will continue to rescue us. In other words, your predecisions set you up for the rescuing of God time after time after time after time. After You face cancer? God is good. You face a death? God is good. You face financial crisis? God is good. Because he doesn't just rescue you once. He doesn't just rescue you twice. He rescues you on a continual basis when you've decided that he's can't imagine what would happen in the glades if we just had some pre-decision makers. Most anxiety in people comes from their unwillingness to choose. Just to make a decision. People say I'm dealing with depression. Don't hear me wrong. Do not hear me wrong. Depression is the seed of undecision making. Because listen to me, depression comes to push on you to make you retreat from the life you have been given to live. And the only way you go forward in life is by the decisions you make. I don't care how much big talk you talk, how much you wear good clothes, how good your hair looks, how amazing your business is. It doesn't matter any of those things. You will be stuck at A and never get to B if you don't learn how to make a decision. And let me tell you what the storm teaches you. It teaches you that by the time you get to the decision, you're too late. See, let me tell you, the reason I gave you my story, not just because I grew up here, but because the day that dad died, I had made a decision. And the most frustrating thing out of that day was when the enemy tries to come and say, maybe you should reconsider. Circumstances have changed. Things are different now. Because it makes us believe that God is working in the same time frame we are. That he's seeing as we see. But the Bible says that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. He hasn't even computed in the same vein as you and I. So when he declares a thing, he's already seen all the things that are attached to the thing he's declared. He's seen the storm and believe you're qualified for it. Let me tell you the second thing that happens. That you learn from the storm you need. You learn to go higher by using the storm as leverage. Now I like this part. You learn to use the storm as leverage. There's only one bird that can fly 10,000 feet in the air. I'm sure you know what it is. It's an eagle. An eagle is the only bird that can go that high. When all the storms come around all the areas that eagles live, they go into their burrow. They head into the place of where they nest. The eagle is the only animal that does not retreat In a storm, it's the only animal that does not go back to its nesting place in a storm. You can look it up, you can watch it on National Geographic. When a storm begins to arise and an eagle is nearby, it will sit on the highest perch of a tree. While the winds are, f- are taking the tree over and over again. You can see it on National Geographic. It's just it in the wind. It looks like it doesn't know what it's doing because it's just sitting there. And you can see the storm clouds coming over places like Yellowstone and Glacier National. And you can watch those places and it's just, it's beating off of them. And the wind is blowing and the branches are going. And you can tell that the, that the eagle is trying so hard with his talons to stay connected to the branch. But then when the storm gets near, the eagle will take off in the storm and ride through it because it catches the wind of the storm. And it causes the eagle to fly higher than its natural capacity, just flapping its wings. So an eagle wants a storm because in a storm it takes him from the storm to above the storm where he can see further, he can do further and find his prey easier. So most eagles don't sit and try to retract from a storm. They find a storm as leverage to what it is they want out of life. I'm telling you, I don't know what would happen if we got a hold of the scripture that we are mounting up with wings as eagles. We are those who have waited on the Lord and are saying to ourselves, we're willing to wait. I'm waiting like an eagle. I'm waiting just what this storm's going to do. But I'm not waiting to retreat. I'm waiting to leverage the wind of this storm to take me higher than I've ever been that a good storm is exactly what I need I'm tired of overworking my wings trying to get myself to the level I can see where God sees from I'm tired of having to lay down four and five hours in the day on the on the rock of my life saying God show me the better way show me the higher way and all God is saying to me is I've given you a storm that will carry you to the heights you are desiring might but God brings things that have a force behind them that you can use to your advantage you got to learn how to go higher by leveraging the storm see Daniel leveraged the storm I want to use him as part of my illustration today because I want to show you something about him Daniel leveraged the storm because he never changed from his predecision, but he also never got intimidated by the real enemy. The enemy that threw him into the pit with the lions, the enemy wasn't the lions. The enemy wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. The enemy wasn't the ones who threw him in. The enemy was fear. The enemy was fear. Because all of the, mu- the magicians had one goal: to make him believe that if he did what his predecision was, that it would cost him his life. But I've come to tell you, go with me to Hebrews chapter two real quick, verse 15, because I've got to show you this, because listen, we're living in a day we can't fear death. Y'all okay? I'm going to talk about it because nobody talks about it. But I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it because let me tell you something. There is a stronghold over our nation. And it is, it is revealed in COVID. It, I'm not saying it came in COVID. It was revealed in COVID. That we fear death. Even as the body of Christ. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm trying to take us on a journey. I'm trying to take us on a, So still love me. I wore purple today. So you could love me. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15. Let's just look at verse 14. Inasmuch then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had what? The power of death. And release those who through, you get it? Fear of what? Death were all in their lifetime subject to bondage. Let me give you the backstory of Hebrews. Hebrews is basically setting us up to see, because I don't have time to read it all, that this is a particular version of the old covenant and the new covenant, the pre-Jesus and the post-Jesus. And the person who is writing Hebrews is trying to help us see in chapter 2 that there is a new covenant that belongs to you and me. It is not the covenant of the previous day before Jesus came. In other words, all the things that were feared up until Jesus came came should no longer be feared because they have been taken care of at the cross but what I am finding is that though we preach new covenant we live old covenant we live believing that there's still a fear of death there's a fear of not making it a fear of God won't do what he said he would do a fear that a miracle can't take place and I don't know about you but I'm just daring enough to believe that I can leverage the storm to say like Daniel you can put me in the den but the lion's not." My enemy, you can send me there, Nebuchadnezzar, but you're not my enemy. The enemy against me is to try to convince me to be intimidated by fear, and I will not bow. You know why I know the lion wasn't the enemy because God shut the lion's mouth but never changed his character. Y'all, some of y'all are gonna go home, y'all are gonna get that. Number three, when we're looking at becoming everything God has for us in this storm, we have to learn how to walk. And I'm going to talk about a word nobody talks about. Patience. You got to learn to walk in patience. Now, I love this word because I don't know, maybe y'all heard a sermon on it last week. But I can tell you, I've been in church all my life. And as Pastor Mark indicated, I've sat through many sermons, including his own, Pastor Jody. I mean, I got more material, I could probably last a lifetime, never have to study myself. That's not true, just so you know. Y'all okay? Y'all gotta laugh back at me. Jeez, I'm doing like a lot of work up here. But what I've learned is, is that the word patience means to stay under. That's what patience means. So when God says, be patient in all things, when he says, let your patience be true to you, walk in patience, what he is saying to us in scripture is that he's asking you and I to stay under. So then the question becomes, what is the under we are staying? And if you look in the book of e- Exodus, you will find that when Moses is standing and they are looking for a victory, they are fighting for a victory. There is a time that comes that he's incapable throughout this entire journey of being able to execute the victory that God has ordained for them. And so the Bible says that he needs people to come beside him and help hold up his hands. And they are there as Aaron and Hur. We see that. And they bring a rock over and they put him on the rock because his arms are getting weary and and they need help. And then yet we see when the victory is finally done, Moses says something. That we have to grab a hold of in patience. Because he says, Surely this place is the realm of your banner. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me because I went on a journey to find out that the patience that God required of Moses was to live under his banner. I live in England now and I love to study. Renaissance history and Tudor history. I've been to many places, Sarah, and I, I love to go to London. Becky would tell you I'd probably go to London more than the average bear because I just enjoy going. And uh, now, now, you know, when you grow up in a small town like this, you can imagine what it's like, like catching a train to London. Like, that's cool, right? And I'll go down and I'll study some of the Tudor history and I'll go into the museums. And I came across a really interesting story. During King Henry VIII, when he was... Marching into new territory. He had his frontline men who were not the archers, but they were the ones on horseback. And they were all in the front line, becoming before the mighty army came behind them. And, and they have a banner. If you know anything about history to do with wars, you will know that the banner that Moses was talking about was a literal banner, a banner that represents the, the image or the name or the crest of the king in which you serve. In England right now, that banner is that was belonging to Queen Elizabeth is now laying on top of her coffin. But there is a new banner that is flying that relates to her, her son now as King Charles. That banner represents authority. It represents a realm. It represents who you belong to. And King Henry VIII had this banner and it was flying and it was flying. and And he told his soldiers that were on horseback that they were not to move forward yet. They were not to cross the boundary of the banner. But somehow the message did not make it all the way down the front line. And half of the horseback soldiers began to advance out from underneath the banner. And as the story goes, that because they advanced, they forced everyone else to have to advance too in order to not be able to take out just a few. They had to all end up going together. And as a result, none of them were ready and they were defeated. Let me help you and I. There is a banner over our life. And when we do not have the patience to sit under the banner. And under the authority of the word of God. Under the prophet of God. Under God's word to us. When we do not have the patience to sit there. You may think to yourself. Well my advancement only is about my family. Me going ahead only is my decision. Untrue. Like King Henry VIII. When his people decided to go of order everyone else had to advance with him out of order and I'm telling you that if we continue to be a people who are impatient we will not win the full victory that God has for us because he is waiting for those who will bow to the authority of heaven he is looking for those who are obedient to his banner who will say I don't know why I'm waiting I don't know why I get it I don't know what God said not yet go and if my brothers have to go I know we will lose this fight but I will wait on the Lord I will wait on the Lord I will wait on the Lord the timing of the Lord is perfect his word is never void it will never return to me in a manner in which it's not been sent so therefore my timing may not be your timing but I will be patient y'all okay God is teaching us through the storm how to be patient. Some of you would bring a victory to your life if you could just learn pace. If you could learn how to pace yourself in the rhythm of grace instead of the rhythm of your ambition. Let me tell you something that I think will help change your life. God is not committed to your dream. He is committed to his will. And if his will and your dream can coincide and live under the banner of him, he will fulfill your dream. But if your dream walks outside of the patience of the banner of who he is, you on your own. Some people have the darts coming at them that are hitting them, not because God ain't good, but because they worked in advance of God. Their ambition caused them to advance in ways that God never intended. You know what I've learned? I've learned that a storm will keep you looking at what needs to be done now. It don't matter how many things we'd like to do in England right now. For ten solid days, we have been taking care of the Queen of England. Every meeting stopped. Every social event stopped. Every football match stopped. Every rugby match stopped. Every event stopped. Because the Queen of England died. How much more for a king who's alive? could we stop our life for the one and only some people have stood in line in England 14 hours just to walk by a dead person and we can't get churches for people to come at 10 o'clock on a Sunday how in the world do we expect to advance in the kingdom when our own king who is alive and well whose banner over us is love who is walking before us and behind us who's put a shield about us, whose mercy and goodness will follow us how much more does he need to be reverenced and loved how much more patience how much more should we say to what it means to stay under stay under and worship stay under the word stay under our pastors stay under your blessing is when you stay under listen God is not in a hurry you and I are God's advancing us in his rhythm. I went to England. I didn't know. I mean, all y'all looking, I know what age I am and life is going. And God's given me incredible opportunities around the world. And in many ways, it it felt constricting. It felt constricting because they didn't know me. I didn't know them. It felt like I was starting over like I was 21 years old again. Not thank God my mind wasn't 21, but... But it felt that way. It felt so restricting. It felt like I was getting up as the imposter in my own church, preaching the gospel, hoping, hoping. Number one, they love me. Number two, they want to come back next week. Number three, they're getting something for Jesus. And it's just like the Lord has used that restriction to say to me, Amanda, this whole culture, this subculture that's been built, This subculture that means that you got to climb a ladder. I'm just using you as an example that I don't work with ladders. He said to me, I work with scuba gear. I said, scuba gear? I'm not a scuba diver. I don't even like scuba diving. I don't want to go in the ocean. That's my husband's deal. He said, I'm working with scuba gear, Amanda, because see, when you go down with scuba gear, when you climb a ladder, you can take everything you want up that ladder. As long as you got the strength, you can carry anything you want up that ladder. You can keep going, you can see it, you can know everything about it. It's in your arena. But scuba gear, you can't go down unless you release oxygen out of your tank. You got to take the pressure and keep releasing to keep going down. You got to keep getting more empty to keep going down. And the further you go down, the less you see. And the more out of your environment you are. And the Holy Spirit said to me. He said Amanda I'm trying to help our church. I'm not trying to build anybody on a ladder. I'm trying to take people on a journey. Where they will keep dumping themselves out to me. Emptying themselves and getting comfortable. With less of them and more of me. I'm trying to take them to depths they've not been in. Not to heights that they want. And that emptying. I just want you to know from me to you. It is not fun because it requires you to sit in a storm and let the emptying happen publicly to take out of you what doesn't look like him to come fall before him and say God I don't care how long I've been saved doesn't matter there's still so much I don't know about you so much I want to know I went around the corner with number four it's out of Acts 27 You can come to the keys, brother, because you know I like to work with keys. Acts 27, I'm going to walk you through it for the sake of conversation. Acts 27 is a familiar chapter. You can go back and read it on your own in your devotion. The basics are Paul is on a ship that's in trouble. It's definitely going to be sea wrecked. It's coming to have a shipwreck soon. He knows it captain knows it. The crew knows it. They've been fighting against it. Everything about them trying to journey to keep it from happening has now run its course. There's no way to keep this ship from having a disaster at hand. Fourteen days they fast hoping that God will prevent the storm but the storm rages. On the fourteenth day Paul comes to the captain and then to those that were on the ship And he says to them, men, let's eat. There's plenty of food. We've been fasting for 14 days. Let's eat. He said, but when we get done eating, everything that's left, we're throwing overboard. The Holy Spirit spoke to me so clearly, and I believe it's really true for this house We've had our sustainment from a previous day that has fed us. We've gotten our sustenance. But now it's time to dump what we used to do. I'm going to talk for just a minute. Is that okay? We ate well. There was nothing wrong with the food. We did it under the direction of God. You were sustained because of that bread. But the storm and the result of the victory that will come past the storm is only going to come if you're willing to throw out what you've been eating on. The truth was in Acts 27 that, why would it matter? The ship was going to be wrecked and lost anyway. It mattered because those men needed to learn and know that what God could do was not dependent on what they kept. It is our habit when we are in a storm to keep a hold of things that we're comfortable with. Ways we used to do things prayers we used to pray things that worked in the past for our victories we're used to a, a way we're used to a bread we're used to a service structure we're used to our pastor a certain way we're, we're used to the way we like to serve and we're used to the way we like to do business and then we hit the storm and we want to keep all the same tactics because we're used to them and they comfort us But Paul said, eat. But then everything that used to sustain you, you better get rid of it. Because this storm is taking you to a new day. And a new day doesn't come with stale bread. you got to learn to dump the right things. See, 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm ending with this. And then we're going to pray and to see what God does. 2 Kings chapter 4 tells a familiar story of a woman who came to Elisha and said, I don't have any way to pay for my sons. Of course, we know this story. The story is, is that He asked her what she had, and she said, I have a jar of oil. And then she said to him, he said to her, go and collect all the jars that are empty. And for as long as the jars were there, they were full. But listen to me. He said to her, go get the empty jars. Here's the key. Here's your takeaway. If you can't sit with emptiness, you can't get the fresh oil. There's always a season of emptying and a season you sit empty. Because God's not a God of mixture. He's not coming on the back end of this storm to fill you up on yesterday and today. So as long as you hold on to the bread, he can not bring you fresh bread. Because he doesn't mix things. When a season ends, it ends. And may I make a declaration? I haven't been here in a long time. But there is a season closing here. There are fights and battles that are coming to an end. They are not to go into the new day. And there's also sustaining bread that is not supposed to See, sometimes you don't dump just what doesn't work. You dump what God says is no longer needed for where he's taking you. There are things over this house that do not need the things you think you need to accomplish them. There are visions and dreams foundational things over this house that you do not need what you think you need in order to walk into them. You're just used to them and seeing miracles that way. And so it's hard for you to let go. But let me tell you something. The storm God's brought is to teach you how to dump what he calls unnecessary. So that you will sit empty until the prophet God comes to you and says, Bring me as many jars as you have, and until there's no longer an empty one, I'll keep filling. Do you know what that means over a house? That means as long as there are empty people showing up, as long as there are Christians who will pour themselves out, the oil will never run out. You want to know what the definition of a dried-up church is? It's when they keep trying to fill themselves with stuff that God's not filling them with. The oil never runs out because we've emptied ourselves. Stand with me. I know that God's talking to some of you. That's what I want to do. There's some storms you've needed. There's some storms in this area that have been needed. There's some storms over your life you've needed. And I'm praying that by the power of God, you've been open today to see that God has given you the authority and the power to make decisions that are in alignment with him. To bring yourself into a forward motion of knowing that you don't need what you think you need. But I'm going to ask them to sing. We're going to worship. And then I'm going to make a call. I don't think there's anything special about down front. I don't think it's the only way you can encounter God. But there's something about saying, I'm ready to take the leverage of this storm by the power of the Holy Spirit and use it to my advantage. So we're going to sing and then I'm going to make a call and if that's you I just want to pray for you okay so let's sing.